0: Okay, we're on. We're, the sound is good. So, uh, welcome to the uh, latest edition of Big Dog's Brain. Uh, today, we're continuing uh, podcast number two in the uh, in the uh, theme of CEO stories. And uh, our guest today is Jim Kelly. Um, Jim, uh, just some background on how we know each other. Jim and I, did we get to know each other through Kim and Julie or through...
1: I actually David, met you David Cassidy. You don't remember this. I met you at Kelly Information Systems when you were That's right. in Cincinnati. That's right. You you we That's... talked to you too, about you starting a services business. I remember K. that. Alliance. You were yeah, what the office was that in Bluish? Really? Yeah. 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 Yeah, Alliance Road. That's right.
0: Yeah. That's right. Uh-huh. So, but how did even
1: that happen? Uh probably met in a bar or something. No, i I I'm not sure how that happened. It must have been, it might have been through John McElroy.
0: I don't think but, I um, knew John back then. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so, obviously we go so far back we can't even remember exactly when that was, but it was probably 1995-ish? Was 1993 or 4. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, and then when we started Cardinal Solutions in April 96, and I don't know the exact, it's not important, the exact date, but I think in the fall... Of '96, we started our first board of advisors, and you were one of the yep. first members yep. of our first board. You can get right. you can win a dollar if you can remember where our first board meeting was.
1: I remember some dark bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll give you the dollar. Yeah. It was like a.
0: It's not. A, it doesn't exist it's as that. It was like a cigar bar yeah. in High yeah. Park Square. Yeah. 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 Um. So anyway, Jim's been, and then you were on our board for like ten years or so, yeah. Yeah. and then we sort of redid the reshuffled or whatever, yeah. hit the reset button on the board. Yeah. But anyway, then we were, we've been sort yeah. of, you know, Return friends the and then, yeah. you know, Kim and Julie are friends. And then, um, and we even had an, even ended up doing some work for you at Spotlight, which That's is right. a, a story we're going to get to. So the first part of this uh, um, conversation, I think it's important and interesting for all of our, our listeners is to kind of just... Um, here. the origin story of kind of how the path you took to get to, um, um, you know, starting your own business or two, two businesses, which we'll, we'll get to, but, um, so when you were, well, I just want to jump right into college. So when you were in, um, undergrad, were you, uh, You're at Miami University. Were you in IT or
1: were you in business? Uh, Freshman year, I was undecided. I was leaning towards business. My freshman year roommate, Pete Colombo, his brother was an executive at Mellon Bank out of Pittsburgh in IT. Okay. And Pete was like, oh, this IT degree is the way to go. My brother... Uh, I was killing it, and uh, I was like, "Wow, that sounds really interesting." Anyway, that's that led me to investigate uh, IT and that degree. And my second half of freshman year, I committed to uh, they call it systems analysis, but mm-hmm. it's uh, it's their technical degree, and that's what I started at Miami and got my degree in at Miami.
0: Okay. Yep. Okay. And then, so yep. uh, the, the first year or whatever, you were just undecided, like, yep. For well, half like, the first, like most uh, people, yeah. but then you got in
1: it, and it and it, and it the shoe the shoes fit. <clears throat> no, I mean I would say it was more geeky and tech, technical than I wanted. Mm-hmm. I've always been more of a a sales or marketing oriented interest. I happen to be good, I guess, relative to other subjects in math. Yeah, and yeah. So uh, it was engineering. Uh, this was in the applied science school, but you know assembler and all the programming languages and stuff and uh, and I, yeah, I, I latched onto it and liked it. My driver was always, this is um, something more technical and hard and I want to leverage it to differentiate myself in my career as a basis to, you know,
0: yep, yep. grow my career. Yep. And so then, um, um, you know, you get your degree, what was your first job out of school?
1: My first job out of school was Teradata Corporation.
0: Okay, and describe Teradata what they do to our yeah. So they were a pioneer
1: in data warehousing. So mm-hmm. they started the first what is now known as kind of data warehouse appliances, but it was a hardware software approach to massive parallel database computing. Mm-hmm. And they're still around. They mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I was a very early on employee. I was employee like number one fifty. Oh and um you know I uh, was very fortunate to be there about 10 years and go through a bunch of now I was a you know I was a new newbie mm-hmm. uh, but I experienced the leadership of raising money they raised a ton of venture capital they we went public and I experienced that uh, had phenomenal growth and then we ultimately got acquired by AT&T um, and it was a great business with really I learned a lot about Senior leadership uh, of a growing company. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a. Uh, I didn't know that. that when
0: you said Teradata, I was figuring you were employee yeah. number seven thousand or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's I was really great.
1: Fortunate. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Did they? Yeah. Did you get that job just like an interview on campus, or did you have like a some connection
1: with? I uh, so my entrepreneur uh, blood started early, and I actually cut lawns and sealed driveways in high school and college. And mm-hmm. I was sealing Mike Ahrensberger's driveway out in Anderson Township and a big ass driveway and I finished it and I'm all sweaty and he offered me a beer Mm -hmm. and we sat down and um, he asked me what I was doing. I think I was a sophomore at Miami at the time and I told him about it and he was the first field salesperson or general manager uh, of Teradata, uh, which was uh, headquartered in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and we hit it off and I asked him for advice and he gave me a summer internship. So I actually had a summer internship twice and then would work Christmases and stuff for him and just stayed involved with Teradata doing whatever. Uh-huh. And uh, he offered me a job I didn't I didn't really interview with anyone else. I wanted wow. to join wow. Teradata. And what was it, what
0: was the first
1: role that you My had? My first with role was this was early on at Teradata, so they were starting to formalize their customer support center. Mm-hmm. So I answered the phone and worked with customers on their technical questions and problems or the system was Having bugs or whatever, and it it was a low level position, but it was a great position for me to really learn all about the product. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, take the question, put it into the system, and then I was uh, Julie and I got married and we moved out to California. So we were in L.A. Mm-hmm. So I'd walk down the halls and bugged the engineers for the answer and, mm-hmm. you know, asked a bunch of really stupid questions early on, but mm-hmm. then became a product expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, so that was my first position there. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun.
0: And then where did you go from the customer support?
1: From there, uh, I went to uh, what we called our partner products, our coordinated products. Mm-hmm. So this it, it was way early in the days of SQL databases. Mm-hmm. And there were early front-end what we know now is front-end tools Mm -hmm. and business intelligence tools and I uh, worked in the organization because I was technical I worked in the marketing organization uh, to to build out those partnership products if you Mm. know like focus and those guys early on so it was really neat I got to meet Jerry Cohen the owner and CEO of Focus in New York City, and had some really good experiences with mm-hmm. those coordinated products. So I would go help the sales team sell Teradata with the coordinated product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what? And then I got plucked to our um, our benchmarking center, mm-hmm. so uh, all of our customers that we were trying to get off of, in those days it was just mainframe DB2, was a big mm-hmm. IBM <laughs> platform. <laughs> We would go and you know people would say who the heck's Teradata and we're like well we're going to run your DB2 database so much faster mm-hmm. so they had to send us a bunch of data so we could run their queries so I was the guy in the in the benchmarking team that would receive the data load the data uh, load the customers or the prospects queries and, and systems and. And get it to perform. So then they'd show up like a week later out at our corporate headquarters, and we'd have this big meeting, and we'd show them the queries running. So again, leverage my technical skills, but it was the first time I was then exposed directly to sales. Mm-hmm. And
0: the, so the this was like market. a like you would do a benchmarking, like POC, yes. to prove the, the, the speed. What and the- what. what your market what your literature said like a yeah, weekend, exactly. weekend, we can exactly we can we can
1: one faster cheaper right. whatever and our in our niche was big big databases so we were dealing with american airlines and walmart and the biggest databases in the, really in the world mm-hmm. like kmart back in the day and sears and all these big companies that had all these big databases and it was costing them a ton of money and it, it worked. It was a great product, and they come out, and we would run it faster, and we could show them a great value proposition mm-hmm. you know, and cheaper. Cool. Yeah.
0: Right. And then, like you said, that was sort of got your your feet wet in the sales. In, in the pre pre sales guys. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then we sold a big system uh, to Kmart, and I, Julie, and I wanted to move back to the Midwest, so we moved back to Detroit to support this big, big, big teradata system that we sold Kmart, and I would I was part of the Kmart Teradata team, and we moved to Detroit, and I worked, and that that was really customer-facing, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, every, every morning at 7 a.m., we had to answer to Jerry Councilman uh, at Kmart, who was about 6, 7, had a very deep voice, and our product broke every night, <laughs> and I had to explain to him what went wrong, and what we did to fix it, and... And he was just super intimidating, you know, and him and his team would sit there and, you know, uh, make sure that we stayed on our toes. But that was a great experience. Um, and that was still technical. And then I also then, that was, uh, while I was in Detroit, I was had the opportunity to um, move into sales, so direct sales. Because mm-hmm. I got to the point in my career where, as I mentioned earlier, I always wanted to, I aspired more on the marketing and sales end than the, detailed, techie, and although I had my hands very deep in the technology, and that ended up being a really good uh, reason for my sales success Mm -hmm. um, because I knew what I was talking about. But anyway, that's then when I moved into being a direct salesperson for Teradata, and that was my first. uh, And I had some really great sales mentors Mm -hmm. uh, at Teradata and learned a lot about selling big How long were you in that sales role? I was in the sales role for about four years um, and was successful Um, and that's at the time where I also uh, Terry at the time was started the vertical how old
0: about about how old were you when you were eight
1: years out of college so 29 something like that 29 yeah Yeah. that
0: was like the same obviously a different backstory, but that was about the same time when I first got into direct sales I was like in my I was like 28 or 29 yeah And I remember, um, I don't know if this—if you already knew this or if you had a similar experience. I remember—I always tell people—I remember when I first started in, you know, being responsible for for sales. Like, going, I don't have any idea if I'm going to be any good at this. And then, like, I don't know, five months into it i'm like i'm never doing anything else <laughs> right. this is exactly <laughs> <what> i always <laughs> should tell people this is what god made me to do <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. i finally found the perfect combination of
1: yeah, whatever
0: funny. technology and and you know whatever the the, the personality thr- the, and the thrill of the hunt yeah. you know yeah well so, I, I was
1: motivated because we were working our butts off at this kmart account and there was a, a sales guy there john Laurie, and of course to us We'd see John come in, driving in his BMW, and talk to folks. And and then we learned how much John was making, you know, yeah, selling right, all right, this stuff. Right. And, of course, we had no idea what he was going through. But to us, it was like, we're doing all the work, and he's making all the all money. Right, you know, right. I want to be him. Uh, so I was definitely coin-operated, money-motivated. I wanted to, you know, I, that was a big driver for me. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, what the heck? I can do that. Great. Uh, and That's great. I got great. The opportunity. That's great. Yeah.
0: Now, when you finished... At the last role you were in at Teradata was that meeting in the sales role? Yes and then um, what was it that what were the what was going on to, uh, that made you decide
1: to leave? So one of the, the biggest deals uh, that I ever closed was at Meyer stores for Teradata mm-hmm. and it was a very long complex sale. We ultimately brought in a machine at Meyer up in Grand Rapids and we you know did a big POC during that time. Uh, we became very, very close with the executives at Meyer. I mean, literally Fred Meyer is who I closed the deal on one Saturday morning with his leadership team. It was a great experience, but him and his CIO and his president and his chief merchant, I mean, it was, it was kind of game-changing for them to have the availability of all this data to mm-hmm. run better run their business. And right as we were closing that deal, uh, AT&T acquired Teradata. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, you know, it was ATT NCR, and NCR uh, rep came in and said, you know, we'll take this deal from here, Jim. You you don't have to do any more work. We'll close this for you. And I was like, baloney, there's no mm-hmm. way. <laughs> and there's a little conversation there. But um, I didn't want to work for NCR. It didn't mm-hmm. take me long to realize that. The CIO of Meijer uh, asked, me and my brother was working on the account with me. So he worked Mm -hmm. for Teradata, He's two years younger, he was the lead technical person, I was the lead salesperson. And we sold a $10 million Teradata system, and this is back in early 90s, so Mm -hmm. it was a big deal. And uh, the CIO came and said, we want you and your brother to work for Meyer Mm -hmm. because we just bought this big system and we need your help. And we said, funny that you asked that, we won't work for Meyer directly, but we want to start our own company and we Mm -hmm. want to build software for retailers to help them utilize these Teradata systems with the front end and all the reports. And so it was was actually a pretty quick uh, migration into that conversation. And they ended up, um, we ended up leaving Teradata and NCR. Uh, They ended up hiring us. And not only did they hire us as consultants to build this software product, but we, uh, they wrote us a check for over four hundred thousand dollars as a prepayment. What to consulting fees. What? Yeah, that So is, that's how we got the money to that's boot, unheard of bootstrap our company.
0: Do you think that um, they they were uh, willing to do that because they they couldn't bear to think of you know going live or whatever
1: without you and your brother? It was risk mitigation. My brother's very very talented. We lived there. They knew us so well. We literally lived at that account as Teradata people had our own cubes. I mean, mm-hmm. we were part of the fabric. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, after we closed the deal, this never happened. This happened once in my career. They invited us to their all hands, you know, several hundred people MIS thing, and just they just invited us, and we didn't know it, but they gave us an award. Right. You know, uh, had the president of Teradata come as a surprise and the, the President of Meyer gave us an award for the project and what we had done. So we were really tight. And, you know. Did you have to, um, I
0: don't know, negotiate like uh, the rights to the, yeah, the tools?
1: Yes. Yeah. So we negotiated that. I wasn't going to do it. We wanted to be a software company, not a consulting company. Mm-hmm. So they wanted us to build this for them and we said, okay, we'll build it for, for you. You got to pay us to build it for you. We will not market it uh, for a year. Mm-hmm. Once we deliver it to you, we won't market it to anybody else for a year. So it worked out. We delivered version one. We had a lot of work to do for Meyer for version two, mm-hmm. you know, to add to it, but that started the clock. And so we worked at Meyer. We ended up hiring four or five people on our team to mm-hmm. work at as Consultants to build this product for Meyer, but then we owned it. Mm-hmm. So it was a really, and they paid us up front. And we right. were making money from day one on the consulting fees. Uh, we didn't gouge them. It was fair, but, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so two reasons to answer your question. They knew us and trusted us. It was risk mitigation for this big machine that they just bought. And, um, you know, they wanted to get the value out of it right so right a, right kind of right right setup. i think you
0: hit on the um just the brief description of how you worked you were able to get such a sweetheart of a deal i think the the to me the key ingredient was how they knew you and your brother yeah. so well yeah that they were well right yeah. like if yeah whatever they knew what they were getting if you were whatever strangers yeah. and even if you could sell snow to an eskimo right they'd probably be like you know what no no yeah.
1: no no and actually for the, even for the 10 million dollar deal for teradata we needed that same level of credibility and trust i mean mm-hmm. as yep. you know yep. you people don't buy products from you they buy you mm-hmm. as, a, as a as a company and as a especially a small company yeah I mean, yeah oh yeah cardinal they were buying you okay yep. and you know and yeah and you're Support and background and credibility is what mm-hmm. they're
0: buying. So. Yep, yep. So now, so now you're uh, you <clears throat> delivered you know version two or three to the Meyer yep. thing, and then you're starting to market yep. this Kelly. From infor- I mean, did it, did it have a did the product have a name in addition or over and above Kelly Information Systems? Yeah. Or was Impact. That the, Impact. Impact. Okay. Yep. Impact. Yep. And it was a. Uh, it was a re- re-
1: Was it retail focused? Retail only focus. Okay. We built. Um, basic reports packaged for if you're a merchant, or if you're the CFO, or if you're in store operations. So we had modules for a typical retail sales and customer big data warehouse. Did it layer
0: over any backend database or database um,
1: device, or just ter? It was optimized for Teradata, but uh, I didn't mention, but you know when I was in sales at Teradata, I was just selling to retailers. So I, would, yeah, I yep, was selling yep. to other retailers. So our business plan was, you know, we, and my brother was also in the same group. So he knew some of the folks too. But, mm-hmm. you know, we went to, actually Walmart became a customer. Federated Department Stores, which is now Macy's, was a customer. Mm-hmm. Caldor and the East. So these were all Teradata customers that either we had sold or we knew of mm-hmm. through our peers at Teradata selling mm-hmm. these retailers. And they all needed the same thing. It's you know not to date myself, but it's right when Windows came out with a included little graphical user interface. Oh, you you, Power, ju- you just da-
0: you just dated yourself.
1: <laughs> Power Builder. Yeah, I remember I, mean, you know, about, I remember. I mean, this stuff's happened very fast. I remember we're talking about. like you know early '90s, so it had, wasn't that long ago. I know. But, you it seems, know, seems like it, right? Oh, right. But we, it so like we took Power Builder, and my brother did as the technical lead, and built a really nice graphical user interface uh, to a SQL database. And in those days, they didn't exist. So mm-hmm. we got, you know, it was not only a nice business value package, but also a graphical user interface and all that stuff, which wasn't, it was just come, starting to come out.
0: So a couple so a of things. So your Kelly Information Systems then was uh, um, most of your, or all of your capital came from the deal you struck with Meyer. Yep. Pretty much, right? Yeah. No investors. Right. Right? The only ownership was you and your brother? 50-50. Okay. And then, um, but you still had to go, you still had, to, I mean, that's great that you had that yeah. that money and that credit, that client reference, yeah. what, all that stuff, uh, and the consulting money coming in. But then you still had this, this is something you got to sell nationally.
1: Yep.
0: Right? You yep. got to go to retailers all over the yep. the map. Yep. Right? And that was you? That was me. Just getting on the...
1: Yeah, and uh, so we from Meyer, and it,
0: was, it was direct selling, right? I mean, you correct. weren't being brought in by a partner like Teradata or or uh, whoever. Yeah,
1: no, we we actually did a deal. Uh, I'll tell you about in a second. But to answer your question, the evolution of the business was we stayed at Meyer. We actually wanted to get out of Meyer from a consulting yeah, and building yeah. product, but we stayed there just with two or three people. But then that's when we came back to Cincinnati, opened an office, built our dev staff Mm -hmm. in Cincinnati of five or six people. Um, You know, Brian led the engineering team and in the early days, like right away, we hired five or six. Like I said, all kind of young developers, Mm -hmm. most of them right out of school or one or two years. And it was fun. It was pizza boxes and Coke. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was the classic startup um, environment. Uh, And then, We actually then, you know, I I began selling it to uh, other retailers. And our next sale, uh, I'll never forget. It was Caldor department stores. They were in um, in New Jersey uh, or Connecticut, uh, Norwalk, Connecticut. And uh, I knew the CIO from Mm -hmm. Teradata days. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the hotel room the night before. I'm like Brian. You know, we got to decide what we're going to charge for our product, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, before I left for the sales call, we actually, you know, spun the software onto a floppy disk, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, and made the brochures and stuff. But we were going back and forth, like, what should we sell for it? And this guy was a notorious hard negotiator. So, long story short, you know, we 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 were batting around some numbers and ended up getting a lot more. And mm-hmm. I called him. I'm like, you never guess what I got, you know, what we got. <laughs> so it's just that fun, early stuff yeah. where you're just kind
0: of yeah. winging it, yeah. you know, and now let's, know. so now let's jump a little bit. So yeah. then you end up, how many, uh, you know, at the, toward the, toward the height of whatever Kelly information systems, how many, um, customers did you have at that point? How many employees did you so have? So the height
1: was, um, we had a couple opportunities to get acquired, one by a company called MicroStrategy mm-hmm. um, and one by a company called Intrepid Systems. We ended up not doing MicroStrategy and that's something I look back on and I was kind of like, wow, if we would have done that, <laughs> that would have been pretty good. Um, but we ended up doing Intrepid Systems. It was very successful. We got acquired and they are, think about them as kind of an ERP. So they needed a okay. the decision support aspect to their yep. core transactional retail mm-hmm. running the business uh, product out of California, and um, it was a you know it was a good exit for us where we got some cash uh, and some equity in Intrepid. Mm-hmm. We then ran the the decision support or BI uh, business for Intrepid for about three years. Grew it in our product. Uh, continue to do very well in the marketplace. And How was, big
0: was uh, Kelly Information Systems? Like, what was your annual revenue of the year? Uh, we were, the year you sold.
1: Pro- now, this is this is a license. This is before the SaaS and recurring yeah, revenue yeah, and yeah, all yeah, that. Right, so, right. this is a license. So, every year we were probably doing three or four million dollars and it was all licensed. all, all licensed, all new license now about 25 percent of it 30 percent of it was services to do the implementations yep, but yep we yep. you know we wanted to have that you know it's a one-time payment of and then you pay maintenance so right. there was some maintenance so there.
0: was this intrepid deal was it just uh you know a serendipitous you like they came to you and then you're like well okay you know was it something you and your brother were look like looking to do a deal or
1: we weren't, it, it just um, fell no. in your lap or whatever. Yeah. it So we started to see similar products out in the marketplace. We actually met Intrepid because they had built a very similar product. Uh, and I, at this big retail show that is called NRF that happens every year in January in New York city, I met the president and we started talking and, um, so we weren't looking, but it was a good opportunity for us to kind of make something bigger. So mm-hmm. we owned a smaller piece of the combined pie, but it really was a to sound corny a one plus one equals four from mm-hmm. a product and go to market and value, and it did it. it transpired to that, and Intrepid three years later got acquired by uh, PeopleSoft. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yep. and um, and that was a great. How big was Intrepid
0: that? when? The- When they bought
1: Kelly Information Systems, Intrepid was about a ten million dollar business. Buying a you know three oh they were small they they were small yeah oh yeah and then so it turns out the decision support part of Intrepid our our core product uh, almost outpaced theirs. Mm -hmm. It was a really good sales tool for them, but we grew pretty aggressively. And then, uh, like I said, the Peoplesoft acquisition happened.
0: Yeah, and is, was that right around the time where you were thinking, okay, time to leave? Yeah, like no, when the, sim, very after,
1: similar to the NCR at t acquisition of Teradata, we had the next idea, um, and this time it was not with my brother, um, but uh, that's when I started Spotlight Solutions, and it was the so. Next. Tell
0: tell us about that. So the 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 idea. How do the, how does the idea, you know, where did it come from, and then how does it how did the does it gel into the core, you know, you and whoever else yeah. were going to start this thing and
1: pitch this thing? Yeah, for both businesses, both uh, Kelly Information Systems and Spotlight, uh, I was very fortunate to be living in a, a part of the market in the industry very close, and I was ingrained in it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, it would be great if we could just do this, mm-hmm. right? And so at Spotlight, it was a – the company the product was for – Uh, markdown optimization and so how did we come up with that well a lot of the reports that we were running at intrepid and kelly information systems were pricing analysis and inventory analysis and but it was all reporting right and so the the evolution of business intelligence is well can't you apply to look at something and forecast what's going to happen so we went out on a limb and the way pricing was done in the industry was uh, very antiquated not scientific or data-driven at all, but it's very important to a retailer on their markdowns, right? Because mm-hmm. they're marking something down from full margin yep. to 30 off to 50 off. And yep. It's huge money, like, yep. it's big money, it's part of their balance sheet. So we learned this through our reporting and you know our experience of being intrepid. and we said, wow, big problem, very antiquated, core to a retailer's business, like yep. the chief merchant and the president care mm-hmm. about this of these big retailers. Let's take the next step in the evolution of business intelligence. We'll apply mathematics to the problem. Yeah. And we applied math to solving where and when and how deep you should mark down your products. And that was a totally different So way is of that that um that um problem statement? Yeah. Does that just came out of your head? We knew the problem statement because we were trying to solve it through reports. Yeah.
0: But, but it was just yes. you at that at the yeah. very early yeah so spotlight uh, that I, was like a you're like there's an there's a there's an unmet definitely not business need. need right yeah. here and, and how do you go from um that articulating that unmet need and then getting the mathematical whatever the form you know what i mean yeah. the yeah. the science behind <laughs> solving it
1: yeah so there are a couple people at Intrepid that i hired who were also at um, PeopleSoft, who were my co-founders. Mm-hmm. Um, I own, you know, I own 51, but I brought along Jim Harold, who was sales, and Garrett Sinclair, who was going to be my product guy, my okay. product manager. We all were living this problem. Mm-hmm. We all started, you know, bar talking about let's after this acquisition, let's try to give this a run. To answer your question we of course did our research on on cuz and so far like the
0: those three none of those three guys sound like a a math they're not they're, formula, an they're analytic. sales and data yeah, yeah. and
1: so Jim was ran sales I was CEO Jim ran sales and marketing and Garrett was product management but um, to answer your question like how did we come up with the math uh, we researched you know who is anyone doing this and mm-hmm. out at Santa Clara University they have a retail institute and they had actually built some math for markdown optimization as an academic study, and they actually applied it at uh, Dayton Hudson's, which is the target Dayton Hudson's, and they actually ran it. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, holy cow, look at this company, they're out there. And so, long story short, went out there, Dale Alcheval, who's the Dean of the Retail Institute, uh, was like, yeah, we do it. And I got a couple of these data scientists, and I'm like, all right, how about if we partner, and we go to market? So for us, little spotlight, It gave us tremendous credibility, Santa Clara University, you know, retail institute. They've already taken this math and look at the case study of Dayton Hudson. And we packaged that. We got the rights to their science. We hired our own data scientists and evolved it over time. But that was really a, it was a combination of a good engineering leapfrog, but marketing leapfrog. So Dale's known in the industry as credible. Did you have
0: any, uh, was it that simple getting the negotiation of, you know, uh, you know ownership and compensation. You know, it and it wasn't
1: simple. Dale was a very detailed academic guy. And here we are, you know, and, and very risk averse. I mean, mm-hmm. his whole career is his reputation. And so it was, uh, it was, it took us a while. We ended up, his motivation was, uh, I put him on our board mm-hmm. and I gave him equity in the company. So failed to mention, unlike Kelly information systems, Spotlight is, The total opposite. So I was funding the company uh, out of my own pocket Um, and then one of the other co-founders came on a little bit later, they also put some money in. Mm -hmm. So we're not making any money, we're funding the payroll of this out of our own pocket. And so like I said, totally different of Mm -hmm. Kelly Information Systems and our goal was then to raise money. So now... um,
0: uh, you have this guy on the Santa Clara thing yeah. he and he i mean that sounds like something that would be complicated to do but somehow you get him to be on your board and, and yeah. give up the mm-hmm. you know the secret sauce of the the formula and the 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 name and the yeah. case study right yeah. Yeah. and then you're are, so are you right now the you are you employee number 1 right you yeah. know in this stage yeah. okay so do you i'm just curious for cuz the you know, some, A lot of the guys that um, end up listening to this are part of my little MBA mentoring yeah. group out in Colorado. Do you, um, so you knew you had to have money, mm-hmm. right, venture yeah. capital in order to scale, like to get this out, yeah. right? How, at that point, did you have like a uh, three year four, like did you map out like here's the kind of overhead we're going to need to have, you know, the first year and the second year and then. Here's our, you know, we might not make our first sale till 12 months. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. did you
1: yeah, business plan. trail all yeah. that out? Yeah, you have to. Okay. So yep. we had to do it for ourselves before I was going to shell out my own personal money. Yeah, And then these other two founders who came in uh, started shelling out money. So you knew, like, um, at the end, of, you knew how much uh, cash you
0: were going to burn through in the first year. We knew. We in the second year.
1: So, so back to Santa Clara, we basically just got a math algorithm knows so we had to build the software wrapper yeah yeah. we had to build the product around it and we needed data scientists so it wasn't cheap right so we were very conservative or thoughtful i should say and all right i gotta go get a head techie right my brother's not in it this time i need i need my brian kelly right because as a brother it's like full trust transparency and everything. well i didn't have that in my network of somebody who i knew so we that was a biggest hire we had and as you know it was uh it's critical so that was big investment to get someone to lead that Mm -hmm. and then we um so we had me a a sales leader co-founder a product manager co-founder an engineer and we could probably got another one or two engineers Mm -hmm. but right away and you know we built yes we built a business plan of how much we needed to invest and Mm -hmm. when we wanted to build but then you want to raise money and so my Almost full time job became all right. I got to go raise some seed money. At this point, did you
0: know how much? I'm curious. So like, did you have a, a dollar number? Like, we need that. You know, whatever seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to
1: yeah, our first, or seed money our or first whatever round we were. I want to say probably million to two million bucks total. We mm-hmm. wanted to go raise. We had put uh, at by the time we raised the money, we had put. Uh, Two or three hundred thousand dollars into mm-hmm. it, right? And so, uh, as an aside, raising money will take you longer than you ever think it will. Every mm-hmm. single round, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're you're mapping this business plan out, and you're like, "We'll start trying to raise money, and six months later, we'll raise the money." Well, no, you know, it took yeah. a lot
0: longer. And then back then, Jim, is it true true to say that uh, there weren't even the kind of
1: accelerators that
0: exist now?
1: There weren't. You yeah. had just, you're just kind of doing it on your own. You're doing it on your own. Yeah. And there's not a lot of, certainly in Cincinnati, there's not a lot of software companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I went and called up Blue Chip Ventures who was mm-hmm. the leading venture capital company in Cincinnati. And they don't, you know, the answer is no, we don't invest in companies at your stage. Come mm-hmm. back, you know, when you've got this, this, and this. Yeah. Great, same thing, Some there's some wealthy, investors in Cincinnati who I I would call on them under the auspices of, I just need your advice with my goal of maybe they'd get interested. And one of them gave me the um, the reaction of, yeah, we don't do this. This is a conservative Cincinnati family and no way. They all ultimately ended up mm-hmm. investing, but it took six meetings with and them. And
0: is that, would you call that your angel kind of investors? Um,
1: we called it our A round because... Yeah. I would say our angels were kind of us, the founders. Okay. Okay. But that became our A round, and that was a couple million bucks. Um, we were very full. we got blue chip ventures, Jack Wyan and Jack McElwraith and Todd Gardner. In the first round you did, or round. your A round? A round. So they were our lead investor. How which, many?
0: How many people participated in the A round?
1: Uh, how many entities? I would whatever? say it was blue chip. It was uh, one big family in Cincinnati, their their investment arm, and then. Uh, some names in Cincinnati that you would be like, wow, holy cow. Okay, I've heard of those guys, you know, and some mm-hmm. of them I've never met, but mm-hmm. there was a, a group of very wealthy individuals uh, in Cincinnati that also put in some money. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: So you went out and um, really organic, just locally, um, yeah. right? Yeah. But locally met these people and got them to mm-hmm. have yeah. some confidence and buy in and throw in, right? Yeah. And-, and how much runway did that give you, the A round? It gave
1: us about a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. And however, year and a half runway means you're gonna run out of money in a year and a half. So nine months before you run out of money, you gotta start raising again. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I had, you know, and here I am CEO of a company that's growing and you know, we're trying to build a product and trying to get initial customers and but I gotta go raise money, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're you're balancing, as you know, as a business owner, you're balancing your investment in the company to accelerate the growth, you know, that one more person versus being conservative to give yourself more runway to get your product and your next customer. So it's that delicate balance. So the second round, um, we ended up doing three rounds total. So our B round was our same investors um, because we were getting traction. We were doing what we did. And I was fortunate enough to, to build a pretty conservative, um, you know, sales plan and execution mm-hmm. plan so i you know i was able to to provide results to the uh, existing investors the thing that investors will do uh, as you're as you're hitting your numbers they'll they'll get in their community for you so they blue chip helped me bring in another uh, one or two local vcs local meeting like in the region so there's some Was data. this the B round? This is the B round. Yeah. 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 And the B round was I want to say like six million dollars. Okay. And uh, yeah, and the the just as a sidebar, the other interesting thing we were competing with is this was in, you know, we we were formed right around Y two K, and you know, in our third round, we were actually right when the internet bubble hit, and so in that VC was very. There's a lot of turmoil mm-hmm. in the VC community for sure. So mm-hmm. anyway that was uh, it was a great experience I learned a heck of a lot about you know just raising money mm-hmm. uh, and you know just to finish off the third round is when we had to go outside because we wanted to raise 10 to 12 million in our third round and we had to go outside the region for that to find you got to go find a new lead so it's the next kind of tier of venture capital so I was working with firms on the west coast and mm-hmm. went out to Sand Hill you know a lot to pitch the big VCs out there ended up Getting a firm out of New York, uh, the uh, Rockefeller has a very large VC. So it's mm-hmm. called BenRock, and um, new board members. And every time you raise money, it's a new board member and things like that. So, mm-hmm. so well, that's
0: good. Um, so when you let's talk real quick about the kind of the evolution of the board. When you're when you're a when you complete your A round, mm-hmm. do you have a board right then? Yes. Or, okay.
1: Yep. And is it the, the investors require a board seat? Okay, and, so and certain size investor, and if they're not of size, they'll be board observers, not okay. officially on the board, but they get to come to the meeting, get all the documents. So how many
0: were stuff. on the A round board? Just a couple. Couple. Yeah. So it's yeah. just you and two other. Well, what I did,
1: um, similar to you, is I also went and. Um, uh, I met a lot of people in the industry and there were a couple of people that I really respected that had built companies. Mm-hmm. So people not that are investors, but from the industry that built software companies or were um, you know, retail oriented folks, advisors. So one guy who I knew of from a software company I brought on the board and then fun story, Bernie Brennan, who he was CEO and owner of Montgomery Ward. His mm-hmm. brother, Ed Brennan, was chairman of Sears. I met him. One of the firms out of New York that ended up not investing used him for due diligence. And he was like, all right, yeah, come in here and tell me about this markdown thing. He's a retail icon. And we ended up spending you know, three hours in a, in a little room in New York City on the whiteboard. And he loved it. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I think we had other, we had a couple of different term sheets to choose from. We were fortunate we ended up not choosing that firm. But I asked Bernie to be on our board. And that was Magnificent, mm-hmm. right? And so, quick story. I don't know if you, how much you want to talk about it, but my biggest lesson learned from Spotlight was managing the board. Mm-hmm. And you got a Bernie Brand. I remember.
0: Uh, I yeah. actually, because because you were coming to Cardinal board meetings at the time, and we would mm-hmm. shoot the shit and with a beer afterwards. I remember several times yeah. you you sort of lamenting how much of a time and effort yeah. burden that you felt they were putting on you. Yes. But anyway, go, uh, you know. Yeah, oh, no, for I, sure.
1: And it's, it, again, when I look back and I say, you know what, would I have done differently? I would have, early on, I probably wouldn't have had the power that I had on my board. Late, it was appropriate. But in A and B, you, you didn't need it as much. And also, especially with the big investors that come on the board, they're coming on your company late, So here you are, I've got a board of eight highly successful, Mm -hmm. type A, everybody's got their own opinion. They're not living your business like you're living your business and they, you have to manage it. And so I didn't do a a good enough job early on of we have a board meeting in two weeks. You got to call everybody before the board meeting. You got to send them the deck and walk them through it. And here's what I'm going to talk about and here's where I need your help. And actually, Rob Daly was on my board, yeah, A yeah, and B, yeah. so he was another early consultant that I used from the industry, mm-hmm. he knew Blue Chip really well. He helped me a ton with this. Uh, he's still mad at me because I had to take him off my board after the C round mm-hmm. because the investors, there were only so many seats, but uh, my point is prep, you do the meeting and then you call everybody after the meeting, you know, so it's, and you have a meeting, You know, some. Investors require you to have a call every month and a meeting every quarter. So it's just an amazing amount of work So what did I learn? I learned that I listened too much you know, my mom and dad brought me up to respect You know you Respect your elders if you will yeah, and your yeah. more senior I mm-hmm. was too polite like i would be listening to some of these people early on. And I'm like you don't have anything You don't have any idea what I'm going through <laughs> or what you're saying does not make sense, you know, so actually now you and I, we would say that right back <laughs> right. then. I was like too polite, and yeah. I was like, "Okay, oh yeah, that's a, I'll take that in consideration." You know, and so it's a balance of managing your board, and that's not my personality. So um, right? so, um, um, that's
0: really good, really good stuff. Do you think that the challenge that you had with the board was because of the people you just happen to have on the board, or? At that time, that was going to happen. Any company and CEO in your situation was dealing with that exact same um, problem.
1: Yeah, those challenges. I, I think you're going to have those challenges no matter what company you have. You've got this dynamic of these investors who invest in you and the lead investors that are on your board they're personally committed to that investment back to their firm so they're very focused on you delivering for your company but their investment and that's how they get measured right I mean so they get a mess invest- the, the VCs and the partners they get measured by hey how spotlight doing you know the investment yeah, yeah, that you yeah. talked us into as a partnership of the you know so that dynamic is now different extremes with different personalities and things like that and that's you know what I learned uh, you know I'd, I'd have to I like, took somebody up, not Rob but another person off my board that was very disruptive he was just mm-hmm. um, but and, and you also kind of get what you get when you go raise money you you should see that there's this adage of don't just raise money raise smart money mm-hmm. and so as you're raising money you have to say and investigate if you're fortunate enough to have some leverage you know who's going to be on my board and why and what mm-hmm. value do they bring to me because I need. Mean, yeah. And be open with what help you need. No CEO has all the skills they need, so be open. I'm like, I need help with engineering, or I need help with sales. So yep, yep. give me somebody who's been a sales executive. You know, mm-hmm. so raise smart money if you have if you're fortunate enough, and and manage them. You know, if you got to, the time drain is going to be there. What no would life. I know? This this is yeah. going to
0: maybe this is a, a, a stupid way to present this question or whatever, but like. When you're in maybe in the thick of it, like in the B and the right around the B and the C thing, and the bo- dealing with the board and the mm-hmm. p- the pressures or whatever, how much of the time you were spending with the board actually helped you versus you felt it as an obligation or what you know what I mean? Like yeah. how were you were you s- still getting a lot out of? those conversations and those board meetings and so but at the same time you know was it like 50 50 of aggravation and um help or did it start to tilt yeah i
1: i was pretty good at having an open mind the way i view it when you're asking that question i'm like i could have an hour conversation with one of my board members and if i get a two minute little snippet of something i can use Mm -hmm. that hour's worth it right so i would say the ratio of value to time is probably 25% 25% of it was valuable, and 75% of it, I just got to put the time in to get that 25%. But it's your responsibility as the leader of the company, and you know this with your board advisors, to put the right board butts in the seats to make sure that they're driving value to your business. I was not strong enough being my first board with you know decent sized money. I raised 23 million dollars um, to really manage that. I, I would I would be much stronger around making sure they understood their role. And if they were being disruptive or not any value, I would tell them now. I didn't tell them before. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, hey, you know, I, I beat around the bush a little bit too much mm-hmm. around that. Um, and do and- you
0: think any of that, uh, um, whatever frustration or, or burden or whatever that your board um, was putting on you would have been... Did that even have to do with results? Like you, the, the the reason why I ask is I, you know, you would, you know, a half hour ago, whatever you you and I were, they had a brief little memory lane about when we first got into sales, and yeah. and I remember, uh, um, in my when my first uh, company in, in in Philadelphia, you know, when you're closing the big ten million when you're closing the big deals at Meyer and everyone in the office knows he's the guy who's making you know, butter in our bread. Yeah. No one fucks with you. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. don't fuck with him. Right. right? It, was it, do you think it's, um, is there any of that with a VC backed, you know, company that, that if the results were, I don't know, if you were two, if you're two time in your plan, two X in your plan, you know, if you're 200% of your, your forecast, right. I mean, does that, do they, would they have pulled back at all
1: or? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, it was self-created kind of situation or self-created dynamic, though, is our C-round lead investor and therefore board, board member um, wanted to go faster. And so the biggest rift in a year of board meetings was, although we're doing very well on our plant, this, this product was a new approach to an age-old problem. We knew in our original business plan it was going to take a while for adoption in the retail marketplace. Retailers are very conservative. Yeah. You know, so, to answer your question, this particular investor wanted to go faster and he was very frustrated and wanted to put m- more money in. And that began the rift. So, we couldn't do enough for him. And he ended up influencing some other board members that way too.
0: And did you say this was? Uh, was did you? I, I can't remember what you just. Was he like? Did you say he was like the lead of the C round or the yes. lead? Yeah, so he, he, Yeah. Every so, time you get a new. So he was this person or this firm it, it put a bunch of money. Yeah. A big yeah, bunch of money. Twelve
1: million dollars. Like right. $10, million right. And
0: does right. the does the voice um, um, correlate with the amount of money? You don't know, the voice at the board table. It's more
1: on the personality, Co- you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, they carry a Decent stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, they have more rights, you know, just mm-hmm. percentage of share. But uh, now, I remember, it's more personality. I remember um, again getting back to
0: these old conversations that you and I used to have. Um, and and uh, uh, I should give you, I should give you credit. I've probably quoted you in different situations to different people in business and young people like maybe 25 times Uh, not they didn't know you so i didn't have to give them your name but whatever i remember one i don't even know if you remember this one time you were telling me that uh um you were you 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 had a good plan and you were well on your way to creating a a really good baby but then your board said you need to have that baby in five months you don't get nine months like and you're like some you know like the metaphor or whatever the analogy is you know what You can try all you want to create a baby, a healthy baby in nine months, but you can't do it in five Five months. You just can't do it. Yeah. So can you talk more about like um, that, you know, that whole the the pressure of that and then how you um, counter
1: counter it or or can you? Well, so that's where that the whole board dynamic, that's what I mentioned, self-created animosity or tension on the board. All of a sudden, this have a baby in five months versus what we really needed was nine to do it right. Me as a leader, there's your choices, you know, go pound sand. I'm not going to do it in five. We need to do it in nine or somewhere in between. Now, is seven right and was the guy saying five because he didn't want nine he wanted set you know so you just have to play that out and be strong enough to know it but you know there was a lot of that and it gets back to also where nobody knows your business like you Mm -hmm. right and you and your team and your partners and for someone to come to a board call for an hour every month and then come to a you know Cincinnati for a meeting and spend three hours you know every quarter they have no idea now they take their portfolio of experience and try to apply it to you, they're well-intended, but ultimately they don't know, for example, the adoption of this technology into the marketplace is going to be slower than it's a new whiz-bang approach to something that's already established, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So we had those dynamics, but yes, to answer your question, the tension and the stress, if you're not hitting the plan, whether it's the plan you're saying or the plan that they want, it gets contentious. And uh, and that was ultimately my biggest challenge and frustration. That's hard enough to run. Now, I, I just,
0: again, I, some I think some of the people who might listen to this um, will, will someday be in uh, you know similar shoes that you were in in, in yeah. the A round and yeah. looking ahead to the B round. When you're um when you're um at those stages where you need new investors and you're going on the making your pitch and you're going you know doing the show to try to convince people to invest or whatever aren't you explaining to them it's a nine month baby and they they whatever they say yes when they're or whatever they understand that in the initial meeting but then when they start going to board meetings all of a sudden they like that they try to change the 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 plan
1: on you um, so in when you're raising money they don't know enough to ask the I mean they'll challenge your ramp of sales and revenue and you look at your expense ratio and timing and things like that I would say it's all generic unless you get an expert of someone that in your business they've done it before when you're raising they're looking at you as an individual your team the market opportunity you know and have you done you know things like that not Wow, this product module should be built in five months versus nine, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so that detailed understanding doesn't happen, and <laughs> you know, sitting here thinking about it gives me kind of shakebacks. Uh, you know, not only do you have the VCs, the big VCs, the C round, Benrock, but and the board member, but they have these analytic cronies from you know their. MBA schools that are going through your financials and also calling you and being like, Jim, you know, it looks like this or that, you know, and I'm like, you know, i just, you don't have time for it. Right. And so you have to do some of it. Um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it's a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's all part of the game, the venture capital game. So as I look back and say, wow, Kelly information systems, you know, funded by a customer and bootstrapped 50-50, just me and my brother. We didn't have anyone to answer to except for our customers. And then this venture capital thing, which uh, we haven't talked about yet, but our the company ultimately merged with our largest competitor and then was acquired by Oracle. So ultimately, it was a success in the marketplace, and it's actually a product now you know, but we were so early on in the development of the product, and that just has to be so core to your your business model and your expectations and everything. So ultimately, it was is successful for the investors. Mm-hmm. I left after the merger. Mm-hmm. On my, you know, I was like, okay, you know.
0: We'll get back to um, before we we definitely want to hear about that in a minute. But um, I'm just curious for uh, your your you know people who haven't done it yet and i i as you as you know i've never you know went through knocking on doors to vcs and, yeah. and pitching them on an idea do you um what were some of the the things that you would point to as like the 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 tipping point or the sizzle like you said you raised over 20 like 25 million yeah. right yep. in venture capital what were, what do you think sold them on uh giving you that money you know was it uh a combination of a bunch of things was like uh, you guys were uh, you know you're really good in the room and you really knew your you, you really knew your industry space and you could describe that that value proposition and no one was in there and you had secret sauce and you had an industry whatever uh, published credit uh, whatever algorithm guy you were using
1: yeah, it's definitely a combination. I would say the number one thing for sure is they're going to look at you and your team. Mm-hmm. You know, everything else can add up and gets you to that, but if you're not if 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 you don't hit it off or have that that connection, that trust with them cuz you're not I mean, you're going to pitch them six or seven times. So They're going to say no four times and then you, you know. Oh, really? You go know, back You go back You go back, back to they the say same no because of this and then you, you know, you come back 2 months later and You know, have things, but you—maybe not seven times, but they're gonna—they're gonna. Very rarely do you have a meeting with a VC. He's like, "Great, now let me write your check." (laughs) Right. So back to your question, though, it's you and your team, and you know, and your experience um, doing something like this. In the best case, your experience in the marketplace, your understanding of the—you know—the everybody knows the market opportunity that. Total available market, the TAM, right? Mm-hmm. You got to know that, right? Mm-hmm. And you got to be honest with it and be realistic with it. I mean, there's so many business plans that I've seen that are, you know, the traditional hockey stick. We're going to take over the world. No, you're not, right? And so, be realistic. Don't be conservative, but don't be aggressive. Try to, if someone says, "Okay, I see that chart of your growth," explain that to me in detail. You gotta, you gotta really know it. And was um, it who was your pitch team? Was it you and... mostly me Mm -hmm. and then, but many times, so I'd be the lead, you know, I'd go and then if they were like, yep, this sounds good. And some of this was on the phone, but a lot of it was in person. uh, For the next meeting, almost always, they're like, okay, now we want to meet more of your team. And then the next meeting, they want to meet more of your team. So, you know, it would be me and then three, you know, my other two founders typically uh, on the second meeting. And then sometimes, you know, for sure, like head of engineering, Mm -hmm. you know, other folks on your team. So... I mean, you're building a great team for, you know, not just to run your business, but they got to be, yeah, yeah, you know, because this is serious money that mm-hmm. people are investing.
0: And so now, uh, you know, kind of getting back to the, you know, you're, your, I think you, we kind of got as far as uh, the C round's over. We got some, we got this invest, this major investor who's who's sort of pressuring for a quicker um you know hitting the goal quicker yeah. than nine months hitting the five month goal or whatever yeah. and then so now so t- t- take us f- from there like is it, it cause, and then you all, you already mentioned that you ended up you and the board or whatever ended up merging deciding to merge with this we did. Yeah, other company exactly. but like there's a uh, there's a point I think um, in there where some other as I recall there were some uh, I don't know if I would um, call it unraveling or whatever, but the, the the relationship you were having with the board and and then they, st- I think, this is just my memory of, yeah. of however long ago it was that you might have told me about it. I think they, didn't they put like a, yeah. hired a CTO for you or, you know what I mean? They started saying, yeah. okay, well, we're going no,
1: to. Yeah, so that that's a norm. So <clears throat> as we decided, so back to, board member and therefore his influence because he was the heaviest investor and this is where you got to manage the board and take all this time so he's like you got to go faster this other company who we ultimately merged with is out there and they were out there before us they were a consulting approach to the problem we are a software approach to the problem he he just wanted to make sure that they weren't catching up which they weren't but he also and this is where you got to be careful and a lot of my people that were very close to this said he was self-fulfilling prophecy where he wanted to put more money in it, Mm -hmm. right? And so VCs, if you burn your cash faster before you can become self-sufficient, they like your business. They want you to go faster. So therefore, you need more money. You don't have much of a choice. They put in more money. They own more of the company. Uh This guy did that. Do you think that
0: that's, um, just again, for any young person that might be... Uh, you know down down yeah. the road looking to walk those that same trail do you think that the that that some vc people actually do that intentionally or is it just sort of a
1: uh, i think they do it intentionally not that they would admit it or whatever they they don't if they like your business and they want you to go faster go 5 months instead of 9 they know they have another 80 million in this fund and they've got 30 allocated for Spotlight would they rather put another 20 in and own you know 58% of the company instead of 32% absolutely right and you just have to be careful about that you got to manage that so it's kind of right? weird in a
0: way if I can um, um, whatever paraphrase it or whatever it's like the the the, the compliment of liking your idea but At they want to make your life, whatever miserable, so that you need, so they'll get an opportunity.
1: They have different. They're almost hurting, hurting that hurting you, right? You got to know that going eyes wide open. A VC has a fund that they need to get. They call it IRR, internal rate of return. They got to get a return on their investment, and they invest in you know with the fund depends on how big the VC is. Just say 30, you know, 20 companies, 30 companies. Mm-hmm. And they know 6% of them are going to come out to anything. Everything else they're going to lose, right? And so fortunate or unfortunate, we were working mm-hmm. and they liked us. And so we were, this is during the internet bust. They were getting hammered on a bunch of other companies man, going man. out of business. Well, here's the spotlight thing. It's going pretty well, right? And so more attention, more quote, finger quote, help. And, and let's put some of our money in this thing and Mm -hmm. so you got to manage that and that gets back to you're in charge right Mm -hmm. and you got to be able to manage those expectations and I pushed back really hard um, but ultimately it in my opinion it became the macro detriment to our ultimately to what happened was we should have gone slower take their money and not try to do things in five months because the market just wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. I mean, these sales cycles were long and you can imagine. I mean, we were calling on, we called on Alex Diller. We met with Alex Diller every Wednesday in his luscious boardroom about his markdowns at Diller's department stores Mm -hmm. across the country. He trusted us with these millions of dollars of decisions. The thing was right, but it was just, it was early on. So anyway, yeah. you know you got like any business or any personality everybody has their own motivations and mm-hmm. everything but their time the investors timelines are typically faster than yours and they want to get ultimately they have to get their money out mm-hmm. they need an exit right so think of Cardinal how successful you were mm-hmm. over 25 years right mm-hmm. you don't do that with a VC backed company mm-hmm. unless you can ultimately buy the VC out or mm-hmm. there's some exit that they have so
0: to then make. um when they're, when they're, if, if you're kind of, I don't know if this is the right word, but if you're like, if you're kind of painted into a corner or whatever, and now you need more money for the, you know, from the, the primary yeah. VC guy or whatever, or yeah. firm, does that, does every time they um, kick in, do they get better terms? Or like, you know what I mean? Are they getting a better, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm trying to say, like a Absolutely. preferred stock, or like I'm in
1: front of you. Depends I'm in front leverage. of
0: these people on the line. Yeah. I go to the front of the line now.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. So usually any round, the lead will get preference on the prior investors, believe it or not. The early guys, they get, tr- it's called trunched down, right? Mm-hmm. You get less ownership, but you also get less rights because the new guys are putting in more money. If you're doing well, you can have leverage as the company that's raising the money on the terms. So mm-hmm. in my C round, frankly, I had multiple term sheets that were willing to be the lead and some had better terms than others and I I tried to do my best on getting the smart money. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are then invested and you are not hitting your business plan and you're running out of money, you have no leverage mm-hmm. Then right. you're screwed, right? And so are they good at this? And And again, not all VCs are like this. Some VCs would be did like, they? help you not do that. Some yeah. VCs, absolutely, I think, will try to. do Is that this. what they
0: did? At a spotlight? I don't spotlight? know. I, I don't or know. is that what happened?
1: We ultimately did. You have before to before we raise more money.
0: No one really like when you have to, you know, suck it up and go to that microphone. Yeah. And introduce. Right. No one. Right. You can't. No <laughs> one can understand what right. that feels like. Right. Right. Yeah. And what you have to do.
1: You're exactly to right. get
0: your to get yeah. yourself, there's no Bill Belichick right. talking to you before you walked out there. You're right. the you're your own Bill Belichick.
1: You are. You're you're exactly right. And what what's going through my head as you're talking? I mean, it's leadership. You know, mm-hmm. It sounds corny, but it is leadership. And you're exactly right. Your toughest times in your career are your biggest test of being a leader. Mm-hmm. You know and. When you're making the big sale and you're the star in the office, that's easy, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, right. When you didn't hit quota, you know, or someone working for you didn't hit quota two quarters in a row or they put something in the program that's the biggest bug, you have a choice as a leader. Go in and yell at them or go in and help them grow, right? And so you're absolutely right. And so the most important thing to me, and back to your question about how did I get over it, was – how did my team feel? If mm. everyone was like, "Oh God, finally he's getting the hell out of here," you know mm-hmm. what a jerk, you know, good riddance. No, it wasn't that. And that's, I mean, you know, you have to build the business for your your people. And yes, I was money motivated, and I wanted, to, mm-hmm. I just like creating companies and businesses and everything to make money for my family and and do well. But it's more about the people and the leadership and all that. And you you know you learn that and um, but it is that's why I would do it again people are like really you yeah. know but all the stress and, uh, and the other thing I wanted to do, yeah I was thinking being a CEO very lonely mm-hmm. you're on an island and although you'll confide in your very close co-founders or leaders you can't be like god doesn't this suck and what about that and what is an asshole to us no it's like positive and you know yes you can Every once in a while, you have to vent, you know. But ultimately, you're the leader because they're looking at you. They're looking at you as you go to the break room and get a diet coke. Yep. How's how's yo? Jim just came back from a sales. How's he doing? Right. And so, it's a big responsibility, and some people thrive in that. And but it's you know it's hard. It's stressful. And uh, but I would I'd do it over again. You know, for all the reasons we discussed. Mm -hmm. So. Yep. Kind of crazy.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think that that, um, so many people, whatever, miss how how tough that can be. Yeah. To be that, to be in that chair and yeah. to know during a tough time, everyone's looking at you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, good and bad. So, you got, you know, Do back you- to stress, you got, you know, yes, sleepless nights for sure. Mm-hmm. You got to just, you got to obviously stay healthy, you know, <laughs>
0: Also, I think um, I mean, uh, hopefully, you'll have a um, a chance to 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 run another business real soon. Um, because I think that uh, you know, you and me or whatever. What the the other good thing about really challenging, stressful, painful things is, I think you do as you go through those and survive them. Um, the next time they come around, you're. It's much. It's not easy. It's yeah. never easy. But right. it's like. It, yeah. We, you know, it's all right. We got, I got this. Right. I've, been through, right. I've been through, I've been through, the, I've been through this. I've been <laughs> yeah. through this kind of a battle before. I can handle.
1: Cost me all my hair. I but, can handle you know, it. I...
0: So let me. Um, and you, you've done a great job at, at 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 sharing many of the, you know, your personal memories about, um, reflections and and it, what what your lessons learned. What um and again, I'm kind of getting back to, maybe some of our, finishing up on, um, with some of our younger, um. Uh, listeners might be um, confronted with do you remember um i know this maybe is too too long of an answer but can you think of like uh when you were going into your a round like is there anything looking back or or to someone who's never done it Mm -hmm. what kind of a um advice or tips would you give a, a person like the the yeah, the Jim Kelly yeah. that was just starting the A round. Yeah. It's, now, if you could talk to the Jim Kelly. Yeah.
1: yeah. So one of my personality flaws is I'm impatient. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my biggest thing would be just be patient. It's going to take longer than you think mm-hmm. um, to raise money, to launch your business, to get your first customers. So even though you 100% believe in your business plan and you think it's con- relatively conservative be open to people challenging that and just be you know be it's gonna take longer everything Mm -hmm. does so that's that was one learning and you know you're going out with your business plan you're all proud of it and they are always to a person very polite and very nice oh that's a great plan blah 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 and then they don't call you back Mm -hmm. right and so don't take it personally right Mm -hmm. and so just that would be the first advice just patience it's a grind Um, and then you know, kind of goes without saying, but don't try to fool anybody. Just be yourself. Mm -hmm. We all have strengths and weaknesses. Be open and honest. They actually, when they invest, they really do want to help you. They're in the boat with you. So figure out a way to make them part of the team and work, as I've discussed, around managing your investors and and your advisors and take advantage of them. And I have found that even though impatient, etc., the the times that i've taken the time to talk to and network with people that you might not think help there's always these little tidbits you know mm-hmm. and and your job is to gather those tidbits and then make the direction for your company so be patient it's going to take longer try not to be too optimistic in your business plan you know hire the best team that you can the other hard thing about growing a business is you're not going to be able to recruit ultimately who you need as your head of engineering, your head of marketing. And I went through this, right? And so you're gonna make commitments and and hire people to be your first leader of engineering. And the hardest thing that I learned was I had to replace that person. We outgrew that person. Mm-hmm. And that person didn't understand it, but uh, one of my mentors and investors actually early on in Spotlight said, it's business. And that was really hard for me because I personally i am invested yep, in yep, these people. Yep, I want them yep. to grow with the company and all yep, that stuff. Yep. Well you've you'll have your blinders on recognizing that the companies passed them by mm-hmm. and uh so that's another thing just for advice just to be aware of but it's fun it's a, if you can be an entrepreneur and start something and create a market or create a business uh as you know Kelly it's there's nothing else better you know yeah market. i even
0: said uh, i remember uh um toward the last days of uh, you know after we were had decided we were going to you know they called it a merger. They bought inside yeah. bought us, um, but I, I remember one of the things. And I would say, even in you know it's not a, VC, a venture capital right. pitch, but when you're meeting with all these potential buyers, you're doing these management presentations over and over, and people yeah. are asking you all kinds of questions or whatever. And then, and I would I would often make the comment, I never pulled out of the driveway here going to work thinking god damn i gotta go to work i you know i wish yeah i hate going to work yeah i never i don't even know what that feeling is like yeah i would have a bad day right you know what i mean and be like man that today sucked right coming home (laughs) right today but
1: going to i never i call it the get out of bed and i've used that as a barometer if i don't want to get out of bed for my job then i change jobs I mean, you know, and I tell people that as I'm talking to them about career advice or whatever, you know, it's just get out of bed theory, and you know, life's too short. I know, I know. One
0: of the things I think is uh, uh, interesting about your story is uh, that I think uh, overlaps, you know, with with my my career as well. That I think we're really lucky about, and I think I talked to um, you know friends and family, younger people that are in their 20s and they're trying to. You know, figure out their early part of their career or whatever. I think it was so you can't overstate how lucky we were and how great it felt like when you were 28 or 29 and go, "I'm, I love to sell and I'm freaking good at it." Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm the goddamn. Yeah. Mickey Mantle of this
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then you get you know then you don't get the sale for six months but uh, no it's yeah I mean it's great and I mean just to
0: kind of know where you're yeah you know because um, uh, work and career and business or whatever is, is going to be you know it's going to be hard you right. know when you're starting a new family and, or starting your family and all mm-hmm. that stuff at least if you you get to a space where you're like this is exactly <laughs> right. what I should be doing <laughs>
1: right and the same the engineers have to say I actually think the best say, quote unquote influencers on sales are mostly technical people they're not
0: right they I, don't
1: they're not the ones with the nice suit and the polished powerpoints and everything they just know their shit yep right? and, I agree you know, I agree so, I agree uh, I, you don't you don't to be a successful CEO, you don't need to be a sales person. That happened to be what I kind of like doing, but, you know, great technical people, great marketing people, you know, get, yep. takes all, all kinds can do it.
0: So. Yep. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to cut us off there because we are,
1: <laughs> we, have, we haven't
0: set up, we haven't set a record, but we're getting close to a podcast record. Well, I it. really appreciate you doing this. This yeah. has been really great for me. I'm talking to you, and I think that uh, the kids and, and, and our other friends and listeners are gonna are gonna get a lot out of it. So, yeah, I it appreciate fun. it. And, and I'll, if
1: anybody listening ever wants to chat about anything, telling know how to get a hold of
0: me. So, all know, right, really, really. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, Jim.